0: I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903 five, eight, six, six, five, two, zero. If you would like to support the ministry here at fellowship Bible church, we would greatly appreciate that as well to give one time or on a regular basis. You can text give to nine Oh three, five, eight, six, six, five, two, zero. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great
1: week. If I were to ask you to show me where do we find the Christmas
0: story in Scripture, where would you take me? A lot of you would take me to the the gospel accounts, right? The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. You theology nerds in here, you would take me to John chapter 1 Probably. But how many of you would take me to the Old Testament? How many of you would take me to the first book of the Bible? That's where we're going to be this morning in the book of Genesis. What we're going to learn this morning is that the Christmas story begins at the beginning. It begins really before the beginning began, at the beginning of time and at the first of scripture it begins at what theologians call the first covenant ever made the covenant of redemption when the Father and Son and Holy Spirit agreed in eternity past that God the Son would come from heaven to earth and become a man to accomplish salvation for all who believe on him it begins when God the Son was first promised to man to be sent As a savior for mankind the first Christmas message was actually preached thousands of years before Christ's birth and it was preached by God himself and at that time when that message was preached the whole human race was in attendance along with Satan himself they were all in the congregation you have your Bibles, let's turn there now. Turn to the beginning, turn to Genesis chapter 3. This morning we are beginning a three week Christmas series. We are calling Christmas from Genesis to Revelation. This week we're going to be in Genesis 3, next week we'll be in John chapter 1, and two weeks from today we will end by studying Revelation 12. We're going to learn the Christmas story from Revelation, so strap up for that one. We're going to spend the next three weeks examining the Christmas story from these unlikely places in Scripture. Some of you might think it's strange this morning to speak of of Christ and the Christmas story before His birth in Bethlehem. But what we find throughout the, the Scriptures is that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, existed long before the events in Bethlehem. He existed all throughout eternity. He is... The eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and the plan for him to leave the riches of heaven and take on flesh and come down to us and become one of us and accomplish salvation for us through his life, death, and resurrection has been the plan from the beginning. So the Christmas story, the story of Christ's coming, is a story as old as time and older. And the earliest mention of it in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is your verse for the week. This verse is what many theologians refer to as the proto-evangelium, which is a fancy 25-cent word that just means first gospel. This verse is the first mention of the Christmas story the first mention of God's great gospel message in this verse of Scripture we see the promise of the coming of the Messiah this verse is as important a verse as any you will find in Scripture now to understand the promise that God made in Genesis 315 and what it means for us today especially this time of year we need to have a little Bit of understanding of the story surrounding this verse of Scripture. We need to know the context of this verse of Scripture. And while many of you are more familiar with the context in this verse than you are in other parts of Scripture, bear with me. I'm just going to take a moment to explain to you the events leading up to Genesis 3.15. Now, not much has happened by way of pages of Scripture, but in another sense, a whole lot. Has, has happened in these first three chapters. In the first two chapters of Genesis, you have the account of God creating everything, creating all that is. We're told that before the beginning began, there was God and he created everything, day and night, sky and sea, land and plants, sun and moon and stars, fish and birds, animals of the land, and on the sixth day, He also created man and woman, and when He created man and woman, we are told that He made them different from the rest of His creation because He created them in His image. Look at these verses of Scripture. I have them up for you on the screen. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. You're familiar with this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So God created both man and woman in his image and he placed them in a garden paradise and he gave them authority over his created world, but he also placed them under authority. He told Adam in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So God shows man here from the jump While you are unique, while you have authority, you are not God. I am. You're to be under my authority. So he gives him this this command, and shortly after giving this command, we are told that, that the enemy, in God's gospel story, Satan comes into the picture, into this garden paradise, in the form of a serpent, and he tempts Adam and Eve to question God's word and to doubt his goodness. He tells him, You will not die if you eat of the tree, but instead you'll be like God. He, he says, God told you a lie. He is keeping you from true greatness. And Eve chose to listen to the serpent over God and ate of the fruit and she gave some to her husband who was with her and Adam listened to the voice of his wife and he ate of the, the fruit of the tree as well and they fell and because they're our
1: representatives, the whole pile of us went. With this sin, as a result of this sin, sin entered into the world and
0: death entered in as well and this this picture perfect life with god and these perfect people he had created to live in relationship with him it was all ruined and wrecked because of sin why is the world the way that it is today I ask this question a lot, people. If God created all that is and put a stamp of approval on it, said it's very good, then why is it not very good today? The fall. The fall. This place of paradise was lost. And the people of paradise were ruined and wrecked because of sin. And as God surveys the moral wreckage caused by man's rebellion, He begins to pass out judgment on all of those responsible. For the woman, pain and childbearing. for the man, toil in his labor. It's going to be futile. Your your work is going to be futile. You're going to work hard and, and you're going to experience futility in your labor. But along with those curses, along with that judgment, is also blessings. Blessings are attached. God is a merciful and gracious God, right? He is faithfully at work in this fallen world as we've been learning in Judges. So while the woman's going to have pain and childbearing, she's going to have children. And we know in Scripture, children are a blessing. Amen? The man is is going to experience futility in his labor, but he is also going to be fruitful. He also directs judgment toward the serpent as well. But with the message that he directs toward the serpent, we also see a message of hope and redemption. Here, right here on the heels of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And that message is what we're going to focus on this morning. Now, this message is, is a message of judgment against Satan, but it's a message of hope and grace and salvation to mankind. Let's look at it. Genesis 3, verse 15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So notice what we have here. God basically tells Satan here from the start, you have started something you're not going to be able to finish. While you think that you have won a major victory over me and over my people today, you have in fact sealed your fate. You have put the final nail in your coffin. What you have started this day is going to eventually lead to your end. That's what he tells him. He tells him, because of what you have done, because you have deceived man, because you have led him astray, there is going to be this ongoing feud, this endless conflict that continues on to this day, right, between you and this woman, between you and your demons and and my people. And while you have deceived this woman this day, and you will enjoy this victory for years to come, there is coming one in her family who is going to go to war with you. And while you're going to strike his heel, as it says in the NIV,
1: he is going to crush your head. Now, let me ask you this. What on earth does this have to do with Christmas? Some of you are probably
0: wondering that. You're probably thinking, I really don't know. When I think about Christmas, biblically, I think of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and Bethlehem and angels and shepherds and later wise men. I don't think about Adam and Eve and Satan and serpents and war and heads being crushed. Not normally what comes to mind at Christmas time. So what does this first have to do with the Christmas story? Well, let's think about it. Who is God referring to here in Genesis 3? Who is the seed of the woman? Who is going to come? Who is going to be born? Who is going to grow up and crush Satan? Who's God referring to? Yes. Sunday school answer. Jesus. God's talking about Jesus here. He's speaking to Satan here and he's, he's saying, listen, you have started something that I'm going to finish. While you have played a key role in man's rebellion by deceiving Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve, while you have chosen to believe the lie over the truth, you have rebelled against me, one is going to come from your very family who is going to make things right once again. He is going to write all that was wrong here and it's going to deliver a fatal blow to Satan in and is going to reverse the curse. Folks, that's what the Christmas story is all about. That's what it's all about. There are a lot of Christmas stories that are told this time of year, some scriptural, some not. But the message here in Genesis 3.15, the promise made here is at the heart of the Christmas message. Let's look at several reasons why. First. One
1: is because this promise explains to us the reason for Christ's birth. What's the reason for the season? That's a question that's often asked this time of year. We have it right here. Why
0: did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to take on flesh and be born in Bethlehem? Genesis 3 tells us why. The reason he had to come is because of the fall. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that Christmas would be completely unnecessary were it not for sin? I heard a pastor say once, he said, sin is the black backdrop of the Christmas story. So true, it is. You've heard me say in the past, you, also, you often hear this time of year that Jesus is the reason for the season, and he is, but why did he have to come? Because of sin. So we could say that sin... Is the reason for the season just doesn't look as good on a on a card that you give someone for Christmas all right you could bless somebody with that if you'd like I need to patent that I don't, I don't think that's out all right but it's important that we think about it right it's important that we think about sin this this time of year because that's why Christ came. When an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1, does he not say that? He says in verse 21, you shall call this child Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' very name means salvation. The Lord saves. That's the reason he's come and we learn this all the way back. In Genesis chapter 3. And while we don't like to think about sin and the fall and about the fact that our world is ruined and wrecked because of sin this time of year, we like to think about Christmas trees and stockings hung by the mantle and Bing Crosby. Listen, if we don't understand this message of our sinfulness and our desperate need of, our, uh, of a Savior, we will not truly understand the amazing grace and mercy and love of our God this time of year. This is what the Christmas message is all about. It's about the fact that we have sin. Against a righteous and holy God. And because of our sin, because we have set ourselves against God, He is rightly set against us. And while we deserve His wrath and His punishment because of our sin, instead God, because of His great, great love for us, He has extended His hand of mercy and grace to us by sending His Son. That's what Christmas
1: is all about.
0: We live in a world today where messages about man's sin and God's wrath and judgment are not popular, even in Christian circles. But if we fail to focus on man's sin and God's great wrath and judgment, we will never truly understand His amazing grace. We won't. It's knowing what we've been saved from that makes this message so amazing. What makes God's grace so amazing, what makes the gift of the Son so glorious, what makes the Christmas story so special is when we truly understand that without Christ, we are shipwrecked spiritually. We are helpless and hopeless without Him. I want to encourage you this Christmas season. Here's the application here. Spend time thinking on those things. Meditate on the reason Christ came. Think about your sinfulness. Think about God's great mercy and grace this time of year, especially this time of year. Share it with others. We should do that all the time, especially this time of year. And I pray that would lead you to be more thankful and worshipful this Christmas than you ever have been before. It's a good application for you. Take that with you this week. So that's the first reason, I believe, the promise made in Genesis 3.15 is really at the heart of the Christmas message because it explains the reason for Christ's birth. In this verse, we also have the revelation of Christ's birth. It's often said that Christ is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. That's what we have here. We have a concealed message here in Genesis 3.15. But as the story continues on, we we are we we see the revelation there. We see this is referring to Christ. How do we know Genesis 3.15 is about Jesus? We get some hints here. One is more subtle than the other, but in Genesis 3.15, God tells Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Now underline her offspring. That was uncommon in, in Scripture. It was uncommon to refer to a child as just being the woman's offspring. Usually the man is mentioned as well, or the child is simply mentioned as the offspring of, of the man and the woman. That's not the case here, which is why many of the early church fathers and the Bible scholars throughout history believe this is a reference to the virgin conception and the virgin birth. He is the offspring of the woman. The virgin birth is mentioned more specifically in other parts of the the Old Testament, specifically in in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah prophesies of, of one who will be born of a virgin. Let me read this for you and you can go back and look at it later, Isaiah 7:14, an amazing prophecy in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Christ came. Isaiah says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Hundreds of years before Christ came, Isaiah prophesies that that, that the one we learn about in Genesis 3.15, who is going to be the offspring of the woman, the one who is to come, he is going to be conceived, he is going to be born of a virgin. And later on, when Matthew is reflecting back on Jesus' life and ministry, he's thinking about Isaiah and he's like, that's about Jesus. Isaiah 7 is about Christ. Which is why he wrote in Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Look at it up on the screen. Matthew writes, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew's looking back and he's seeing that revelation. We should see that as well. When we look at Genesis 3.15, we should see the revelation of Christ, the revelation of his birth. We see that here. We see the revelation, hinted at the revelation in Genesis 3.15 of the virgin conception and and birth, and also we see what Christ will come to do, revealed all the way back in the beginning in Genesis 3.15. We're told what the offspring of the woman will do to the serpent. He's going to crush him. In Hebrews 2.14, we're told that Christ came to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. John tells us in 1 John 3:8. the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Folks, this right here is the Christmas story. And, and this here is what God said would happen all the way back in Genesis 3. He revealed it. On the heels of the fall, you have the hope of Jesus Christ. God doesn't miss a beat, doesn't he? None of that happened behind his back. How did that serpent get in here? Oh, he's already messed things up. That's not what happened. God knew what was going on, and he had a plan from the jump. Jesus is the offspring of the woman. Jesus is the seed of Eve. He is God's promised one sent to destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. That is the reason he came, and that was revealed from the very beginning. And what resulted from his coming is Satan is destroyed. He is crushed. Amen? Amen. Let's look at that in more detail now. We've looked at the reason for Christ's birth, the revelation of Christ's birth. Now let's end by discussing the result. Of Christ's birth. What results from Christ's birth? Look at Genesis three fifteen with me one more time. Lots here right? God tells Satan I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Again like we said earlier this verse of Scripture reveals a whole lot to us. Reveals that Christ is coming to earth. It explains to us why he had to come, because of the fall, because of the sin in our lives and world. And this verse also explains to us what will result from his coming. God tells the serpent, tells Satan here, though you believe you've won a major victory over me, this major triumph for you is going to result in your downfall. And the reason why is because... While you have deceived this woman, through this woman is going to come one who is going to crush you and as we continue to read God's word we learn that is exactly what happens. We learn that in the fullness of time God sends his son, the eternal son, the second person of the trinity to earth. We're told that he comes willingly. He willingly steps off his throne and into the world in which he created. We're told that he humbles himself to such an extent that he comes he becomes a little cooing and gooing Baby. He grows up in the average home. He walks the streets with the common man and in his humanity. He grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He lives the life Adam fails to live, the life we could never live, a perfect and sinless life only to lay it all down at Calvary on the cross. As we sing and hear on occasion, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was crushed by God for us, bearing in his hurt all that we deserve. He was misjudged for our misdeeds. He suffered silently
1: the only guiltlessness man in all of history Christ did this he did all of this so that you and me could have life so that we could be restored back to the place where we were in right relationship with God
0: from this time forth and forever We also learn that by accomplishing this work, not only did Christ provide
1: this great salvation for us, but He delivered a fatal blow to Satan. When
0: Satan tempted man, and man sinned, death entered into the world,
1: as we've talked about, as a result of sin, not just physically, eventually go on to die in a physical sense, which was not the way.
0: God created things initially. That's not the world he put his stamp of approval on and said was very good. We die as a result of sin. That's one of the great consequences of the fall. And More importantly than that, a spiritual death occurred. There was separation that took place between ourselves and, and God. Man died spiritually at the fall. Man's Perfect relationship with God was shattered and there was nothing that man could do to change that. No matter how hard he tried, he could not maneuver, he could not move back into a right relationship with God. He could not restore paradise by himself. Man was in a helpless and hopeless state and that was the great power that Satan had for years to come his great fa- his great power was was in the fact that God is a just God and that God has to punish sin and therefore has to punish us because we're sinners and his great power over us was that there was nothing we could do to change that on our own as Paul says in Ephesians 2 we we were dead spiritually nothing we can do in our own strength to change matters. And as a result of our sin, God's wrath is set against us. That was the great victory that, that Satan had in Genesis 3. That was the great power he held over us. But what Satan failed to see was that God had an answer from the start. And that answer was Jesus. Though man fell was in a helpless and hopeless state. God's plan from the beginning was to send His Son to live the perfect life that we could never live in our place and conquer death through His death and resurrection so that we would not have to die spiritually and experience God's wrath forever, but through faith could
1: have life eternal with Him through Christ. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, O oh death, where is your
0: victory? Some of you all are like, that's, a, that's an Easter passage, Graham. No, it's a Christmas
1: passage. O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting...
0: Of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ removed the sting of death. Amen? He did it by giving His own life up. He allowed death to plunge its stinger into Him at the cross. And it was left there. Christ bore the
1: whole sting of death for us so that death for us who are in Him would have no sting. Hallelujah. Christ conquered death with His death so that we might have life. That's the gospel,
0: and that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's about the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15 coming to crush Satan by crushing death with death so that we might have life. That's the meaning of Christmas. Christmas is about the destruction of sin and death and the destruction of Satan by Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. There are a lot of great modern epic stories and movies that we have in Throughout history and in our world today, but nothing compares to this story. This story is the true story of the great triumph of good over evil, light over darkness, and it is indeed good news. And again, my prayer for you this Christmas season. Here's your application right here. As you're reading stories about the birth in Bethlehem and about the angels and about the shepherds and the wise men, my prayer is that you would also think on this promise that was made in Genesis 3 and that was fulfilled. We're going to see next week in John chapter 1. Fulfilled by Christ coming and by Christ going to Calvary. I pray that this Christmas season you not simply think about a baby being born in Bethlehem. But about God fulfilling what he promised all the way back in Genesis 3. That he was going to send his son to crush Satan and conquer death with his death to provide salvation for all who believe on him.
1: Are you trusting in this King alone for your salvation this morning? Amen. What about you? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned from your sin?
0: Have you bowed before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, King Jesus? If not, that's your invitation today call for you today not to leave this place before you. Bow your heart and life to the, to the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that today and be saved. Let's pray together.